You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. If you haven't stopped by your local Interstate Battery store to check out all the batteries that they offer, whether it's for your truck, your trail camera, or any other device that takes batteries, you need to. They have a specialist that works there that can point you in the right direction. And uh, I actually um, had a conversation with a mechanic the other day who says that he prefers interstate battery car batteries car and truck batteries just because of the performance now i don't know anything about car and truck batteries but uh, i'm going to take my mechanics word for it other than that you can find out more information about the company as a whole on interstatebatteries.com and again stop by your local interstate battery store to talk with a specialist about all your battery needs All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. If you want to find out more information about some badass optics, go to vortexoptics.com. And today, we're bullshitting. And uh, we're bullshitting with one of my favorite bullshitters. And that is Justin Czar. You guys know him from uh, Bowhunter Die, bowhunting.com. And uh, this is a good old-fashioned BS session. We talk a little bit about poison ivy and how much it sucks. We talk about brownie points for the wife. And we talk about um, uh, his hot-as-balls trip to Kentucky for their opener. Uh, I don't know if it was directly their opener, but, uh, you know, or a, a week or uh, a week off their opener, but it was hot nonetheless. And he talks about getting poison ivy. He talks about how hot it was. He ha- talks about running into other hunters, all the, uh, all the problems or, um, uh, wrenches in the spokes that come along with hunting public ground. And, uh, that's what we talk about today. Uh, just, uh, a good conversation with a good friend. And I always like having Justin on because he shoots straight from the hip. And uh, so I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you're not subscribed to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast or the Sportsman's Nation Whitetail podcast, now you're going to find both the episodes on those RSS feeds. So you can get all the content that comes through the Sportsman's Nation on the Whitetail feed, or you can just get the Nine Finger Chronicles. Uh, I would strongly suggest getting the sportsman's nation feed just because there is a ton of great information on every episode that is that is launched you know some some of them are just stories and and conversations but sometimes there's some or most of the time there's some really good information that can be taken away from these conversations as well so uh take that with a grain of salt 
Now, before we get started, I'm just going to straight up give you uh, a link here. Let me pull it up real quick for Lone Wolf, right? So Lone Wolf is one of our partners, right? And Lone Wolf is, uh, we do this, we do this giveaway, right? So in order to sign up for the giveaway, you guys need to go to their website. And that is, let me pull this up real quick. I'm, this is pretty unprofessional. Lone Wolf Hunting Products dot com slash nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers lone wolf hunting products dot com slash nine fingers and that's going to take you to a web page and on this web page you're going to be able to sign up for the last giveaway of the year that takes place on october 1st right uh zach york he just won the september giveaway i emailed him he chose an alpha right so what you're entering to win is uh, your choice of one of their tree stands or a set of four sticks right so what you do is you go to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and enter in your first name your last name your email address then you verify your email ad- address you hit submit and what that does is that automatically enters you into the giveaway now guess what else it does it also kicks back a discount code and i'll just tell you what that discount code is i still want you to go sign up for the giveaway but the discount is 9fc50 and that gets you off of all orders over $200, right? So if you buy a $250 tree stand, it's going to be $200, right? So that discount, it's a little under 20% if you buy a tree stand, but it's uh, it's a really good deal. And uh, hopefully you guys take advantage of it. Like I always say, uh, Lone Wolf's man, those are some badass tree stands and uh, they're going to last you a very long time. They're going to be quiet. They're going to allow you to be mobile. And uh, it's just a win-win if that if you're a mobile hunter or even if you're not a mobile hunter, right? You still want a, a very high-quality hang-on tree stand for your property. Uh, buy a Lone Wolf portable tree stand. So there's that, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. All right, we've paid the bills to keep the lights on. Let's get into today's BS Session podcast with my man, Justin Czar. All right, today's guest, you guys probably already know him. His name is Justin Czar, and he literally had nothing else better to do in his life than spend an hour with me recording this podcast. Justin Czar, how the hell are you? Doing good, Dan, but really, does anybody have anything better to do in life than to spend an hour with you? I, dude, I can think of uh, about 10 things I should be doing right now that... Uh... Should, should be doing is different than would rather be doing. Right, right. I have a yeah. lot of things I should be doing. Right. It's those brownie points, man. I got a, my wife uh, said, you know, this light's been out for five months in my ceiling. Dan, you need to fix this before you leave for your next trip. I'm like, yeah, I will try my hardest, sweetheart, to do that. And um, so after we get off the phone today, I'm going to eat a meal with my family and then I'm going to go try to fix that light. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm headed to my in-laws to move furniture right now. Oh, that's brownie points. That's my brownie points for today. Nice. So you just got back from a a trip uh, to you just got back from a trip from Kentucky, what kind of brownie points did you have to complete uh, before that uh, Kentucky trip? Anything big? 
I don't think so. I found that the key to maintaining some semblance of happiness with my wife is to inform her in plenty of time before I go doing things. Gotcha. The old me would have been like, oh, hey, by the way, uh, next weekend I'm going to Kentucky for four days. Okay. The new me like told her in March right. so that she had time to get over being mad before I actually went. Okay. So I found this to be a pretty good strategy. So let me ask you this then. If you said to her, okay, sweetheart, don't make plans anytime in November for the rest of our life. <laughs> Does that count as, uh, as much notice? Like, uh, uh, I've already done that many times and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay. So yeah. what yeah, is the work. optimal, what is the optimal time frame where you need to be saying, okay, it's November in six months. I just want to let you know, you shouldn't be making any plans for the first two or three weeks in November. Uh, you know what? I don't know. I've, re- I haven't I've yet to find that out. Yeah. Okay. It, do- it doesn't seem to work. And then we get in fights every year. We're fighting right now because, you know, my wife, like, because I say, well, I'm going to Iowa, you know, these weekends in October, I'm going to be gone all of November. So then she just thinks every weekend other than those ones, she should completely fill up with things for me to be doing uh-huh. other than going hunting. Yeah. So then I'm like, well, just because I'm not going on a trip somewhere doesn't mean I'm not going hunting like around the house. Right. Okay. But then, but then we argue. But those are the ones that I'm willing to concede like 40% of the hunts and be like, all right, fine. Yeah. I'll go to the kids' baseball and dance and soccer and I'll go to stupid festivals or whatever it is we need to do. Go to dinner with your friends, whatever. Right. Fine. I'll just, I'll do it. It is what it is. <laughs> and the, uh, not to, not to sit here, um, you know, bashing on our wives because I know there's, uh, other women who listen to this podcast and they're doing the same things right now with their husbands who maybe hunt less or don't hunt, uh, as much as they do. So what kind of woman that hunts would be married to a man that does not hunt. Yeah, I know maybe one who just is like, that's ex- gotta be pretty weird, right? Yeah, But she just wants the, do- she just wants the nomination. Right. She Good wants to her. be, she's probably the pants wearer in the relationship. If that makes sense. Right. She makes the decisions. She's like, Hey, uh, I'm going hunting. Maybe like the roles are reversed. Like the traditional roles are reversed. Right. Um, maybe she's it the one 2019, right? Maybe, maybe she used to be a man and now she's a woman. <laughs> you just never know. That's not where I was going, but, uh, <laughs> But you know, it could be, it could be what I'm, what I'm getting at is maybe she's the one who's like riveting aluminum airplane parts all day long. And he's the, you know, the one who's in control of the house, like make sure supper gets home when she's ready and, and all that stuff. I just love the word supper. What a, yeah. what a great phrase. It's just not used enough anymore. What are you a dinner guy? Uh, I'm a dinner guy. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. feel like it's like the difference between supper and dinner is like if you live in rural America versus urban America. Ah, uh, I, I got think you. that like not a lot of suppers happening in the suburbs of Chicago. Right. Illinois. But there there are a lot of suppers going on where I was raised in the farming communities of Iowa. Yeah. There's are there supper clubs there? Oh, Do you dude. Have those? I guess I guess supper clubs, they're probably not as popular anymore. But 
I guess supper clubs back when my parents were probably my age and, you know, even in like the seventies and sixties and fifties, like, um, my grandparents, when they were in their forties and fifties, that supper clubs were a huge thing. Yeah. Like you yeah, had a I day. I remember going with my grandparents when I was a kid to the supper club. Yeah. Sounds they like... all served like the same. So it was like prime rib. Right. You know, fish fries on Friday nights. Right. Right. Yep. I went to a supper club uh, the last time I was up in northeastern Iowa. And the crazy thing is, this supper club has been around for decades. And I'm talking like 40 years. And now the town itself that it's in has shrunk and kind of faded away like a lot of small towns do in, you know, throughout the Midwest if there's not like a bigger town supporting it. But right. the supper club still thrives as people are driving 30 to 40 miles uh, a couple times a week to visit this establishment. And it's crazy how it works, but it's really good yeah. food. I always thought when I was a kid that, like, you had to be a member of the supper club because I thought it was an actual club. Right. They Like, you had to pay dues and, I don't know, go to meetings or something right. to go eat there. I never realized, like, anybody could go. When I originally thought of a supper club, I thought of... Um, What's the movie with uh, De Niro and Pesci and uh, Ray Liotta? Goodfellas? Goodfellas, yes. I thought of Goodfellas where, you know, someone important comes and they clear a table. They bring a table out of nowhere and set them in the front row Ah, for the live music. That's what I thought a supper club was. But now it's just prime rib and a real good salad bar. Yep, absolutely. I'm with you. Yep. All right. So hard transition right now. You just got back from Kentucky on a... Also known as the surface of the sun. The surface of the sun. Nobody told me that before I decided to go there. Right. So everybody who's from the South who listens to this podcast is probably chuckling a little bit because (laughs) I know when I used to live down in Alabama, it'd be November and it'd be 75 degrees every single day down there. And I can't imagine hunting in 75 degree weather in November in Iowa. So talk to me a little bit about, was this, was this trip, did, was it something that you had scheduled and you knew it was only these particular four days or did you have the ability to shift it around and maybe miss some of this heat? Yeah, I looked at maybe trying to shift it around a few days one way or another, but it didn't really seem like it was going to matter. So we ended up just saying, screw it and going anyways. But last Friday, I believe the real temperature was 98 degrees Jesus. with a heat index of somewhere between 106 and 110. So it was unquestionably the hottest conditions I've ever hunted in. Uh, and I decided it would be a really smart idea to go climbing all around a tree that was covered in poison ivy. Like, oh, that vine looks lush. I'm going to go rub myself in it. Oh, my God. So it was a wonderful experience. Although I did have a blast. I saw a really nice deer. Uh, was was very, very close to killing a really good deer. So I can't totally complain. I mean, I definitely will go back in the future, I think. I I don't know what it is about poison ivy. Like, I would, I feel confident when I say this, I would probably not go hunt a particular deer that may may or may not be making a daylight appearance 
if I knew that I had to set up in a tree that had poison ivy in it. Like, that's how much I hate having poison ivy. Yeah, I, I will admit, I've been hunting for a long time, and this was my first real poor experience. Like, I've had little patches of it on me here and there. But, you know, my, I went with my buddy Matt Miller, and as we were driving in and kind of scouting around on our first day, which was Thursday, he made the comment, he's like, my God, I've never seen so much poison ivy. It's literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I started looking, and I was like, you know what, you're right. And then that afternoon, I went out to hunt, and I walk up to this tree, and I see a vine growing on it. And I was like, oh, all the poison ivy I'd been seeing was like bright green still. And this stuff had started turning red already. And I just like, it didn't click. I was like, oh, it's red leaves, not green. And I counted real quick. And apparently the heat was affecting my brain. I was having a heat stroke. And I was like, oh, we got five leaves. We're, we're totally good. And just like set up in this tree when I was wearing a t-shirt. Oh. You know, and you know how it is like when you're setting up a tree stand, you're wrapping your hands around the tree with the sticks and the in your straps and everything and i got then i got up there and i know you're not supposed to you know cut anything on public land but like i had a little hand pruner so i was just kind of nipping a few little leaves off here and there you know and then i got all set up my buddy texted me he's like dude there is freaking poison ivy all over these trees over here and i looked down and i was like oh shit so when you saw that did your brain start to itch like did you did you already say to yourself, "Oh man, I'm uh, I, I have it. I, I'm screwed. I have it." I, I did, but then I started like texting, like, "What can I do if I've got poison ivy?" I mean, because I knew like I could try to wash it off before the rash started. Yeah. So I hunted for the rest of the evening. I ended up seeing three deer that first night. I saw a little uh, spike buck that was still in velvet, and I saw two does. And then we got down and we packed everything out to the truck and got changed and we ended up taking like an extra 20 minute cruise up to a Walmart that was in the next town away. And we bought some, uh, like poison Ivy wash that you're supposed to use. You can get the oil off of you. And if you get it off in time, you should be all right. But where I failed was I just didn't scrub hard enough. I didn't realize like how difficult the stuff is to get off of you. Yeah. So I just kind of lathered up and washed in it. Like I would wash with soap. And, like, apparently you need to rub like you're trying to get your skin to come off yeah. in order to get it all off. So I didn't get it all off. But luckily, like, I have a feeling I would have been significantly worse had I not done at least what I did. So that was on Thursday. And really by, like, Saturday night, I was I was hurting pretty good. Yeah. And then we, we came home on Sunday. And, of course, it happened on the first night there. So... It's all over my safety harness. It's all over my pants, my boots, my backpack, like everything. And I really don't have any good way to wash it. You know, I was a dumbass and I didn't bring any like detergent or anything. I didn't think I was going to wash my clothes on a three day hunt or three and a half day hunt. So I kind of just like toughed it out and I washed in that poison ivy wash literally like twice a day. But by Sunday when I got home, like my arms, my legs, my back, like just it was all over it spread all over me so i went to the uh urgent care and got on some prednisone and here i am a few days later and i'm feeling pretty good, good. kind of look like I, a leper or i've got scabies <laughs> or scabies or something but outside of that i feel all right did you get it on your genitals at all <laughs> one tiny little spot. Oh, okay good 
So good. luckily, I'm 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 pretty good there because I hear I hear that's not the most pleasant thing. No, let me tell you a quick story. I was uh, either a junior or a senior in high school, and we were having a pool party out at one of my buddy's houses while uh, his parents were out of town, and we ended up uh, the sheriff showed up because uh, they found out that there was some beer there and there were some miners there and. Uh, all of a sudden we see a sheriff coming down his long driveway. So we, I'm just wearing a swimming suit. So I hop out of the pool and I run straight into the timber and I stayed there for multiple hours, like hours and hours and hours until, wow. yeah, hours, hours, like before normally the cops just kind of show up. Everybody runs away. They poke their nose around and then they leave. They're now, not like staking the place out oh dude they were there for a long time like it was their goal to try to catch every single kid coming out <laughs> of that of that party uh, slow night right so anyway i'm we're in there multiple hours and finally sun's starting to go down um this is before cell phones so i couldn't like call someone and say hey pick me up at the corner of this you know this road and this road so all the sheriffs leave uh, we wait a little bit longer. Uh, we get back to the house, take off, get into town, and I just kind of went to bed. Uh, the next day, I had to go to the emergency room because I my forearms looked like the Incredible Hulks. Like they were swollen. My face was swollen. I had it. You name a, name a place on my body, and I had it. And it uh. was the most miserable I've ever been. I had to go to the emergency room two days in a row because my eyes kept swelling shut and I couldn't see. Yeah, that's no good. No, it was uh, it was absolutely horrible, and that's why there, in my opinion, there is no deer worth getting poison ivy. Getting over. it is bad stuff. Now, what happened is since I got home, like all my gear is still in my in my tote. And I'm like, I'm scared to even take it out without putting <laughs> rubber gloves on. And I'm trying to figure out like, how the hell am I going to wash? all this stuff i'm like reading online like i'm gonna fill up a rubbermaid tote with a bunch of water and dawn you know dish soap to wash everything in but then yeah. i gotta worry about deodorizing it all because it's gonna smell like dawn so it's i'm probably gonna do that this weekend and i'm just hoping i don't get more poison ivy on me as i'm trying to clean all this crap because i mean i can't even imagine like it's got to be all over like my straps for my stand and my climbing sticks like i was in it like it was literally like a bush going up the tree and I just went right through it like a dumbass. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I'll probably just get it again this weekend. It'll be great. Cool. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Um, there's a really good YouTube video, uh, where this guy, he, he does an example of, and he, he uses, uh, engine grease. So you I, can... I wa Dan, I watched the video while I was sitting in my tree <laughs> in Kentucky. He's kind of a weird guy, but I did watch the video. Right. But it shows you, how hard it is to yes. actually number one get it off uh, get that oil off of you and number two even when you're washing your hands it can you're actually spreading it up and down your arm yeah oh yeah so, so it's yeah it's great all right <laughs> all right so uh what was the actual other than being hot as balls other than having yeah. poison ivy what was the actual deer hunting like? Did you walk into this uh, ground with a, a a ton of sign, or was it just like, oh, great, it's going to be one of those four days? Um, well, you know, we went down in the spring and scouted a bunch of it, uh, so I had a rough idea of the lay of the land and kind of where I wanted to be. 
Uh, so when we got down there, the first day was more or less just driving around and figuring out what the crop rotation looked like. Because being this early in the year, like it seemed like we wanted to be on green fields for the most part. Yeah. The problem with hunting in the timber this time of year is it gets dark freaking half an hour earlier than it does on a field edge. Uh, and when you're trying to film, it's just it's a total pain. So we decided, you know, we we're going to try to hunt fields, which which I just don't like doing most of the time, even on private ground. I don't like hunting field edges, let alone on public. Um, but we did it anyways. And, you know, we still managed to see a decent amount of deer. Pressure was decent. I mean, there was there was guys around. You know, we ran into a bunch of bunch of people. We actually ran into uh, your buddy Parker from Southern Ground was down hunting uh, the same piece we were. We actually ran into him. Oh, awesome. I saw him at, at Casey's one night, but I just, it didn't click in my head who it was. Like, I'm looking right at him like, God, that guy looks familiar. And we saw his kayak and his, and his trailer with the, with the freaking toolbox on top of it. I'm like, God, I know I've seen this thing somewhere before, but I just couldn't put it together. Right. And, uh, you know, it turns out they were hunting the same public we were. Um, so yeah, we ran into a decent amount of people, but nothing like what we saw in Wisconsin last year. Yeah. That's for sure. Right. So, uh, I only saw one other person while I was actually hunting and that was the very first night. Um, other than that, I didn't see anybody while hunting just, random you know people in the parking lot or the gas station or the camp where we stayed or whatever um so yeah i mean pressure was was moderate i would say it wasn't too crazy uh everybody ran we ran into was was super cool nice guys you know a couple people had shot deer and you know does and small bucks and we're checking them out and bsing with everybody so i think all things considered it was good we saw i mean deer numbers seemed pretty high um the only night i didn't see a deer was our last night uh, and we got busted by some deer that snuck in behind us on the very last night of the hunt. But the, the second night of the hunt, I think I saw eight or nine deer that evening, um, which is pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of times here on my private farms in Illinois, I don't, I don't see a deer, let alone eight or nine of them. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I was happy with deer density. You know, I just, this is my, I think third year in a row now doing out of state public land trips. And I'm beginning to see a pattern of like my own shortcomings and things that need to change with the way that I do stuff. Um, so I, I think there's some things that I learned. And, and being the third year that we did, first year we did Kansas, last year we did Wisconsin, now we did Kentucky. Like all early did, season. Uh, Wisconsin and Kentucky were early season. Kansas we did in October. I gotcha. Um, but I, I kind of just want to pick a place and start and go to it more than one time Yeah. because I feel like it, we only hunted like three and a half days and it's just not enough time. Like, yeah, I could have got lucky and I almost got lucky, but I just, there's, you just can't do much right. in that amount of time. I need, I need to definitely leave myself more time. Uh, and I need to spend a lot more time scouting and a lot less time hunting. Yeah. Uh, I think is the biggest thing that I feel like I'm doing wrong. And then I also, I need to, you ever watch like uh, UFC fights where they get to the end of the fight and the guy lost and they interview him and they're like, dude, what happened? Like your plan was to try to take this guy to the ground, but you decided to stand up and punch with him and you got yeah. your ass kicked. And the guy's like, I don't know what happened. Like I got in there and like, I know my plan was to try to, to do this, but I did that. Like, I feel like that's the same thing I'm doing on these trips that I go on. Like I have a plan and then I get there and it just all goes out the damn window and then at the end of the hunt, I go, what the hell did I do? Like, I had a plan, and I just took a hard right, and I didn't yeah. really follow what my plan was going to be. Right. Do you think any of that actually 
is because you got poison ivy? No, that didn't really have anything okay. to do with 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 it. No, because I mean it didn't really even start to affect me till like we hunted Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and left on Sunday. Like it wasn't until Saturday evening before I really started feeling bad. So yeah. I don't think that really affected me, but it was just, um, you know, it was thicker than I thought it was going to be in some of the woods. There wasn't a ton of acorn sign like I was hoping there would be. Um, and it was, I think the heat probably more than anything affected it Yeah. because I mean, dude, there's only, I think one day, I think on Friday, I want to say I walked over five miles in that damn heat on Friday, you know, a lot of it with a stand on my back, uh, and camera gear and everything else. And I think that like, that just starts to, to wear on you a little bit. Okay. So let's uh, talk about getting in the DeLorean then and hopping back to the beginning of the week. What would you have done differently? Because, um, you, you know, you mentioned, hey, uh, I kind of veered from my original plan. What would you have done differently this time uh, to maybe increase your odds or get closer to a target animal? Sure. Well, the first night that we went out, the Poison Ivy night, I, I was headed to the area that I wanted to hunt. And there was a truck in the parking lot when we got there. So I knew there was a guy out there somewhere. I got a mile in and I was almost to where I wanted to go. And I look up and I see this guy. He's out in the middle of this field in one of those ghost blinds uh, just set up in the middle of the field. And I was like, damn it. You know, I was probably 100 yards, 150 yards behind him. He never knew I was there. And I didn't want to screw his hunt up. So I ended up turning around and going to a different spot. But what I did was I made the poor decision to just like, find a tree and get up in it because I thought I was running late on time when in reality, like when it's that hot, I didn't see any deer move. The it's, it was dark by seven 30. The earliest I saw any deer move any night was six 30, you know, and this was about four o'clock, four 30. So I probably had a couple hours. I wish I would have just kept walking and found a better spot, but I just settled for like, this is a halfway decent spot and there's a tree I can climb in. Let's just, get up in a tree and it ended up like the first night was supposed to be observation, but the tree I climbed into, I literally couldn't see shit. I could see like 30 yards in front of the stand and that was it, you know? So I'm sitting there going, what am I doing? Like I'm I'm supposed to be observing, trying to figure out, you know, a pattern of what these deer might be doing so I can make a move the next two nights, but I can't see anything. But by that point I was so hot and just like, I, and I felt like I was running out of time for the evening hunt. Yeah. Because I was more worried about maybe I can still kill something. So I kind of just made a snap judgment. And then once I got my stand up there, I was just too lazy to take it down and move it. Yeah. Which I probably should have done. So that was probably the first thing. Um, were you hunting mornings at all? You know what? We were going to. Uh, and a lot of that walking we did on Friday. We, on Thursday, we didn't get there in enough time to pick, to pick out a morning set for Friday. So we slept in on Friday. We got up. We went out in the morning. And we started scouting around for some morning spots because we knew where we wanted to afternoon hunt. Uh, But, you know, it's like anything, man. You look at stuff on a map or you walk it in the spring and it looks really good. And then we got into these spots we wanted to hunt and they were so dang thick that I couldn't have shot a deer if it was 10 yards from me. You know, so I was like, this is just ridiculous. And then by that point, it's 95 degrees. It's noon. You're sweating to death. You walked a couple miles with a stand on your back and you're just like, do I want to keep doing this? Or I just want to go back, grab a shower, grab lunch and do the afternoon hunt. So we ended up not hunting any mornings, which in retrospect, I wish I would have, uh, if nothing else, 
than to maybe just observe a little bit more, scout a little bit more, and enjoy hunting when it was not in the 90s. It would have been the only time of the day it was cool. So, I, no, we didn't hunt any mornings. We only hunted afternoons, which I thought was dumb in retrospect. Uh, and then the other thing is just, you know, hunt these field edges. You know, it's just like, it's just not what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, and so often we think that we, we're out walking other people. Like, oh, if I just walk as far as I can go, no one else is going to be back there. Well, like, the thing is, like, everybody walks that far nowadays. It's kind of like, if you're hunting public land, you're not the baddest dude on the place. There's more damn dudes in kayaks and rafts and walking and hiking and saddles. And, like, you're not getting away from people. There's no such thing as that anymore. Maybe you could do that, like, if you're out west elk hunting and you're, like, freaking Camp Haynes and you're going to carry 10 people on your shoulders 10 miles <laughs> into a mountain you can get away but like in the midwest where the most you can walk is a mile or two miles yeah you may lose a percentage of people but you're not losing everybody hell no we found sign you know a mile a mile and a half two miles from a parking lot everywhere we went so i think you know the illusion that you can outwalk everybody else is just that it's an illusion because there's always um, another guy who's probably doing the same thing you are at There's least. another guy doing the same thing I am that isn't 40 and 30 pounds overweight. You know, he's 25 and in shape and he's got a saddle and he's like, I'm going, Yeah. you know? So I think the key is not to necessarily worry about getting far. It's just maybe finding places that are overlooked. Yeah. You know, I saw a lot of stuff that looked really close to parking lots. that looked really good and nobody was hunting it at all. And I'm sure everybody thought the same thing. They're like, damn, that looks like a good spot, but it's a 200, 300-yard walk from the parking lot. It's going to be getting pounded. But the reality is nobody was there because everybody was a mile plus back in trying to, quote, unquote, get away from everybody. But we were all just going to the same damn spots. Yeah, yeah. So do you feel that that problem could have been solved with additional scouting early in the season to actually know where you needed to go? Or... Were you just kind of, you know, a lot of times, and this is what I've heard, heard, and this is what I've found when I, my experience as well is, you get to a new spot, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of overwhelmed with all the decision making that needs to happen. Like this year right. on my Iowa farm, I've been hunting it for seven years, so it's going to just be straight automatic for me, right? Yep. Now, yep. when I in a couple of weeks when I go on my mule deer hunt to South Dakota, I've never been there before, so it's like you just kind of stop thinking and you're not, you're not doing what you, you know, kind of going back to what you said, the whole plan's out the window. Yeah. I think, I think I've devised a bit of a system for myself. I don't necessarily want to divulge what I think I'm going to do for next year, because I know there's a lot of people listening that are probably going to be there or close by, (laughs) but I think, you know, and it just involves more scouting. I mean, to be honest, it involves me leaving more time, taking a longer trip and doing more scouting, probably taking more than one trip down. I think trying to go in blind and do what I did, like I guarantee, like if I would have just like, I could have shot does, I could have shot a fawn, you know, I almost shot a real nice buck, you know, mid one twenties, probably three year old you know, which was a good deer for me for there. But I think like my chances would have been significantly higher if I went in and there wasn't such a learning curve. You know, if I didn't have to spend a few hours of an actual day when I could have been hunting, 
driving around, if I already knew that information, like if I got there even two weeks before the season and scouted and just took, you know, two days, scouted everything, figured out where it was at, put some boots on the ground, glass some fields, maybe even run a couple cameras and then come back and check them prior to season. So I have an idea, like when that season opens up, it's kind of like a sprint. Like who's the first guy out of the gate that's going to get a deer? Because I feel like in Kentucky, it opens so early down there that the deer are still pretty patternable. They haven't been pressured yet. Like if you can get on one in that first night or two, I think you got a pretty good chance, but it's hard to, to find one in you know 7,000 acres or 7,500 acres, whatever it is, trying to find a deer that's using a specific food source. Like I can only cover so much ground, you know, the last hour of dark. Right. So I just need to put in a little bit more work, probably go down a couple of days before the season starts and, and do some more work and really be prepared to hit the ground running like the minute the season opens. And the, the trouble with that is I think you get a, you get an influx of people on like opening day and opening weekend. So I'm probably going to see more pressure than I saw on the second weekend. Um, but I still think it's probably one of the better chances to get on a good deer. I would say either right out of the gate, if you've got Intel and you know where to go, you got a good chance or you probably just wait a couple weeks. till the pressure dies down uh, and things cool off a little bit uh, and then really go try to hit acorns pretty hard, I think would be, would yeah. be key. Yeah. So with all that said, then you can't, you can't change the time of year, right? There's always that chance that it's going to be hot as balls in mid September when you're, sure. if you decide to go back to the same place and hunt the same time of year, are you thinking that like September is a no go anymore as far as in, in just kind of no, stack I mean, your I didn't, odds? I mean, it sucks and it's miserable and hell, but I mean, I didn't, you don't mind it if you shoot a good deer, right? Right. You know, so, I mean, I would definitely do it again. I think we had some freakishly warm temperatures. It's normally not that hot. You know, it might be, it might hit 90, but it's not hitting 98 to 100 most years. Right. So, I mean, and again, I mean, I, I survived. I didn't die. I drank a ton of Gatorade and a lot of water, you know, over those four days. So, but I mean, we survived. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I would go back. The, the, the weather's not going to deter me from from going back i mean that's just part of early season hunting right okay and so, it's kind of nice hunting in a t-shirt i'm not gonna lie yeah i believe <laughs> it's it. not so bad i believe it i there's been years where i went out in a pair of shorts i've been in the tree stand in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and it just because it was really easy to walk to i was hunting over a um i was hunting kind of a, a fence row in between a picked or a a standing bean field and a standing cornfield is easy to walk to. There were no weeds cause they'd all been sprayed down and run over. Uh, yep. so, you know, just my boots and walk over and go, go climb up the tree stand. And, and that was nice too. Uh, but so what, what else are you doing this year? So you went to, well, you're going to Iowa, Iowa, right? Which is all public, which, so this trip has really gotten me rethinking my Iowa, plans for the fall because I wasn't really planning on doing much of any scouting until I showed up to hunt, but I've only really got, I have four, four and a half days at the end of October to hunt. And then maybe another four days in mid November to hunt, you know, so I have eight days, but not consecutively. So part of me is like, man, maybe I really do need to make another, just take another weekend, like an early to mid October, maybe the second or third weekend and get out there. Uh, and you know, do what, I did in Kentucky, which is 
drive around, get the lay of the land, see what the crops look like, put my boots on the ground, see what sort of deer sign I can find and try to hone in on some areas that I want to focus on when I get back there versus wasting time, potentially hunting spots that aren't going to be any good. Right. So it's got me kind of thinking like maybe I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of my early season in Illinois to just get back over to Iowa and not really, I mean, I'm sure I'll hunt if I'm going to be there, I'll, I'll hunt, but I would spend the majority of my time scouting, you know, and if I sat the last hour and a half or two hours before dark, like I'd be okay with that. Right. So before you had this epiphany in Kentucky about going and spending some more time in Iowa, you were only going to dedicate eight days in four day increments in Iowa. Yeah. How long yeah, did it take it, you to draw the tag? It might've been more than that. You know, I've got a little bit of flex time that I might be able to get. It all depends on what the weather and what my season was looking like. But I think the tag takes basically four years, like three to four years to draw something okay. like that for that zone. Um, but yeah, I mean, I walked it in the spring, so I had an idea, a good idea of like three or four spots I wanted to get to. So my plan was always to sacrifice a more, my first morning hunt, probably wait a couple hours just so I'm not screwing anybody else up that might be out there, depending on what sort of, you know, trucks I see around in the parking lot and then get in there and just kind of do some speed scouting and see if the sign that I think is going to be there is actually there and then make some decisions on where to, to set up and hunt. That was kind of my my plan when I got out there. But if I can get that work done a week or two before I go there and then just roll right in and just go straight to hunting instead of wasting time scouting, even though it's, it's not really wasted time. Um, but if I can just, like I said, if I can sacrifice a weekend in Illinois, like maybe I think our second weekend of the season is our youth firearm season. You got to wear orange anyways. So I'm like, yeah, maybe if I just sacrifice the youth season, I run out to Iowa scout, you know, then, you know, the rubs should be popping up. You should be able to see a few scrapes and some fall sign by then, you know, that might help me kind of hone in on where I want to be when I come back when, when it's prime time. Gotcha. All right. Well, I think you should be hunting Iowa more, dude. And I know it's, it, and the reason I say that is because number one, it's Iowa, but number two, the, the bad part is, is I, Iowa public, because there's so little of it, is, uh, is a lot like public everywhere else. There's, sure. there's going to be people on it. So I think it's going to take you longer to actually find a good spot to go out and try to, you know, find that three-year-old or whatever you're looking for. Sure. Yeah, I mean, so let me take a look at my calendar. I think I had four days there, four days there, probably another two there. And then I go to Wyoming November 16th through the 20th. And then when I come back from that, we basically got Thanksgiving. And then the weekend right after Thanksgiving, I'll pro if I haven't shot a deer anywhere, I, I might be able to con my wife and let me go back out there the weekend yeah. after Thanksgiving, where here in Illinois – Oh, no, that's not our gun season, but regardless, like I know Iowa's gun season's a little later than ours is. So, I mean, I'll probably get a few extra, you know, two day trips in there, but like two, like four day long trips. Right. Okay. So, but who knows? Maybe I'll slam one on day one and then I can just go home, hang out. <laughs> hey, we all kind of hope for that. Right? In a way, we all kind of <laughs> hope. Stranger things have happened. Right. You know, my buddy Matt that I went to Kentucky with, he drew an Iowa tag as well. 
Um, but now he's in a bit of a predicament because he's got a new job. He's going to be traveling a ton this fall. So that's screwing up his hunting season. He picked up a new lease uh, with a friend of his here in Illinois, and they have like a bona fide pushing 200-inch deer on it. Oh, boy. So now he's going like, okay, do I want to go to Iowa or do I want to and hunt public or do I just stay in Illinois and chase this big deer on my lease? You know, and it's kind of like he doesn't want to burn that Iowa tag, but how many times in your life do you get a chance to, to truly hunt a deer of that caliber? Yeah, I think you, know? you should still so hunt like, Iowa because it's going to save him from going into that other property too early and blowing yeah, shit up. Yeah, the, but the issue is he's only going to have so many days to hunt Oh, yeah. because he's going to have to travel for work yeah. considerably. Like I'm talking like travel to London and all oh. sorts of crazy shit, like not just like go to downtown Chicago. Well, if he, like, wants, travel, to hunt, travel. If he wants to hunt in London, I got a guy I think who lives fairly close to London and they got some, uh, man, they got like three different types of deer out there yeah, that, but you that can't, can shoot. you can't bow hunt out there yeah you're right i don't think you can no losers <laughs> trust you me guys the, suck. the guy that i talked to would love to but he, oh I, I know a lot of them they yeah. come over here and they go hunting yeah. i know dustin takes a, a decent amount of people from the uk like they go antelope hunting or mule deer hunting because and they come over here and they, they archery hunt because they can't do it over there yeah which is could crazy. you imagine Living somewhere you can't bow hunt. Ugh. If they passed the law, life I want to live. If they passed the law where they actually said, Dan Johnson, you are no longer allowed to bow hunt, I would probably cry. I would just do it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> badass. <laughs> Justin Czar, badass. <laughs> Whatever. So what are you gonna do? Nothing. Throw me in jail. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I think they're you know people I would be like William Wallace of bow hunting. I'd have a whole followers. I'd be screaming freedom. We'd have our war paint and our kilts on. Launching arrows thing. into the into the opposite army. That's right. The DNR office, I guess yeah. it would be. Yeah. So <clears throat> what are your so with that said about Iowa, right? You got like four days here and four days there. What are your expectations for Iowa now that you've kind of got it lined up? Uh, honestly, I have no idea. I don't really have any expectations. I expect to go hunt and have fun and enjoy it. Yeah. You know, that's really about it. I mean, if I see and happen to kill something great, I think I just want to do something different. It would be nice to kill something because I'm getting really, really good at traveling out of state, hunting public land and not killing anything. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want advice on on how to not kill stuff, I think you and I should just start a, uh, start a blog series, how to not kill animals out of state on public land. Just go hunting with Justin and Dan. (laughs) Do do you know how, um, I mean, would you have done, if I said to you, you need to be more aggressive on that, on that hunt in Kentucky, do you think you hunted fairly aggressive or do you think you could have hunted more aggressive? I hunted fairly aggressively. I guess the one piece of information I've left out was, so that first night when I saw that guy in that ghost blind out in that, in that bean field, when we got back to the parking lot, we, we met up. He was from Louisiana, I believe, and it was his last day in Kentucky. He had been there since the opener, so I think he'd been there five or six days. And he basically said, like, this was a Hail Mary. I've been seeing this buck come out at the back of this field, and I just can't get close enough to shoot him. So I figured the buck's been coming out, and he's been going to the middle of this field to feed, and I figured, screw it. I got this blind. I'm going to set it up. Maybe he'll come out. And I'm like, well, did you see him? He's like, yeah, he came out tonight. I just wouldn't come close enough for a shot. So 
I had intel that there was a buck somewhere in that field. He didn't really tell me where, you know, so that was part of the reason that I went and sat up there the following night, which it's the place I wanted to be anyways. That's where I was headed to the first night. So the second night we get in there and uh, I mean, sure enough, this buck, which I'm assuming is the same deer, he comes out 40 yards from me. But I mean, it's like, it's dark, dark. Like he came out of 40 yards and I, I knew it was a buck cause I could see his body, but I couldn't count points other than looking through my binoculars. And I was able to get some footage of him by adjusting all the settings on my camera to really crank up the, the gain and the shutter speed. So you could see him. Um, but he was five minutes too, too late and, and 10 yards too far, you know? So I was like, all right, I, I, I knew right where he came from because the reason that I set up there was on the backside of this field, it drops down and goes into a river and there's two points yeah. on the backside of this field. So I said, well, chances are he's betting on one of these two points. I picked one and I said, I'm going to set up on this one. That's the one that he came out from the next day. We had a 15 degree temperature drop. It went from 98 to like 84 the next day. I was like, okay, we got a temperature drop. The wind switched around to the North. Like we got a little bit of a breeze. Uh, the pressure was high. And so I went back in hoping to get on that same deer again, but no deer showed up in the field the next night. It was weird. I went from seeing eight or nine of them the night before and a hundred degrees to a 15 degree temperature drop. Not a single deer showed up in the field before dark. Yeah. Um, so, but I was about as aggressive as I, I could be because I believe that he was betting within 150 to 200 yards of me okay. um, is where I believe that he had come out from the night before. And with the wind switch going into the next day, like we were really pushing the line on, on the wind so, but I felt good about it. I was like, man, this wind is pushing it, but it's, we're, we're good. And, and what happened is right before dark, the wind died. I mean, it was dead, calm, silent. You could drop milkweed and it just literally fell to the bottom of your tree. Well, right behind our tree was a big drop off and a deer snuck up 30 yards below, below our stand and must've caught our wind and took off. It was a single deer by itself, you know, it snorted once and took off. So I gotta think it might have been that deer, and he might have just been scent checking that field before he came up for the night, knowing that all the scent was dropping down into that valley, and that's why he kind of walked behind us instead of coming out into the field. So I gotta think I was close, you know. Anyways, so I feel I was about as aggressive as I could have been given the intel that I had. Yeah. Okay. Well, still sucks that you didn't kill him. It sucks, but I mean, at least I got to finally see a decent deer on one of these trips yeah that's kind of a reward in itself right i mean i had him in bow range i mean i had him at 40 yards it was just you know a 40 yard shot in that light like 40 yards my max like that's pushing it for me already like in broad daylight when the deer's not on pins and needles right and this guy was definitely on pins and needles when he came out in that field like he was he was not all about being out in the field during day any sort of daylight right you know, cause probably cause he'd been chased around for the last week, which is part of the reason I feel like you need to get there either right away immediately and get one right off the bat before they've been run around. Or you just need to wait a couple weeks for that pressure to die down a little bit and then maybe get back in the timber and try to get one, you know, on the acorns. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we haven't talked about your property in Illinois. Um, I mean, when was the last time we talked? It's been like, Five I don't know. Months. Spring. Yeah. Yeah. Illinois, dude, I don't have a whole lot going on to be honest with you. I got three farms in Illinois that I hunt. Um, and I don't have anything that like 
gets me super excited on any of them right now. Yeah. Um, I've got some deer I would shoot. Don't get me wrong. I have some older quality deer that I would shoot, but none of them that have very much going on for, for racks. You know, my one farm, I've got a ton of really good young deer, like a ton of like really just stud three-year-olds that like I would shoot one if he walked in front of me, but I'm not going to go out and be like, I'm targeting this buck. So all the deer that I have right now, I consider kind of the target of opportunity type deer. Like yeah. if I see them, I'll shoot them, but I'm not going in after one specific deer really on any of my farms right now. What about like every once in every year I have deer that like a big boy, a, a nice mature buck will show up for two or three days. My trail cameras will show, Hey, Oh my God, who's this, who's this deer? He comes from nowhere, shows up for two or three days, then leaves again. Do you ever have any deer like that? that just kind of show up out of nowhere on your Illinois farms? Yeah. Occasionally last year we had like a freaking 180 show up on one of our local farms and he showed up in like late October, maybe the 18th, 20th, something like that. And he stayed until like the first couple days of November and then left. So he was there for about 10 days. Um, we had a daylight picture of him on Halloween. So, and we know he lived because they found his sheds not too far away from us maybe a mile away his sheds were found and he was a legit 180 i believe that he is still alive someone saw him and snapped a photo of a deer running in a field that sure looks a lot like him and you know he could be a 200 inch type deer you know but the thing is like i have no idea if he's gonna come back when he's gonna come back how long he might stay like it's one of those things where if it happens it's a fluke type of thing so i mean there's a chance yeah i mean i could be sitting out there and a 200 inch could walk by i mean i know there's one around but I wouldn't say that he really lives on our piece. Yeah. I would uh, find a step-in dad. You know what step-in dads are? Like yeah. a dad that steps in and does stuff with your family while you go hunt. Like, Does he pay the bills too? Well, like, see, that's the thing. You pay the bills, but you, you get a hunt. Like you're going to, there's a fee associated with it, right? I mean, sure. step-in dad, how much do you cost? Well, I cost 50 bucks a day or 100 bucks a day, whatever. But if I was you, I would be hunting on that Halloween with a step in dad. Well, my plan is to hunt Iowa, like the few days leading into Halloween. Uh And then I got to be home on Halloween because that's, that's the one where like, if I'm not there, my wife will chop my balls off. Right. Yep. Same here. I definitely won't be having any more kids after that. I probably will be just be dead actually. (laughs) So yeah. Halloween, like when you got three little ones at home, Dude, there's no missing Halloween. No, no, there's not. And the sucky thing about it is for the last two years, I've had one of my hitless bucks step out in daylight on a Halloween. Yeah. Like the last two or three years. I had pictures of this 180 in front of my tree stand in daylight on Halloween. And no joke, I was less than two miles away where my mom lives. At her neighborhood, we were trick-or-treating. And it's right close to where I deer hunt. So, I mean, I was, I was in the neighborhood and he was literally in daylight, 20 yards in front of one of my stands. Yeah. So what are you going to do? That's That's life. life. That's why sometimes I hate trail cameras. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. And that's part of what I like about this, this public stuff is like, I'm not running cameras. Like, I don't know what to expect. I don't have any preconceived notions, good or bad. Like sometimes trail cameras can hurt you too, because like right now I'm not excited to go hunt any of my Illinois farms because I know what's there. Yeah. You know, whereas if I had no idea, there's still kind of that anticipation and that excitement of like what might show up. 
now I go out there and I'm like, oh, great. There might be a 130 that shows up if I'm lucky. Right, right. Well, anything can happen, right? Anything can happen. That's why it's hunting, my man. That's right. That's right. Well, Mr. Czar, thanks for uh, BSing with me a little bit. Uh, and uh, Anytime. Good luck, man. Good luck uh, thanks, the rest dude. of the season in Wyoming, Illinois, Iowa. If you make it back to Kentucky, good luck there, too. And, I'm not uh, going back to Kentucky. <laughs> Till next year. <laughs> Farewell, Kentucky. Leave a deer for me for next year. That's right. Okay. Well, I guess adios, Kentucky, then. But good luck, brother, man. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, buddy. You too. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Justin Czar, thank you very much for your time today. Huge shout out to everybody. I say this every time, and I mean it every time. Thanks for taking time to download and listen. If you like this podcast, go spread the word. Go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and leave a five-star review. Be sure you're subscribing. Be sure you're following on Instagram and on Facebook, not only the Nine Finger Chronicles, but the Sportsman's Nation uh, uh, sites as well, as well as some of the other you know, some of the other content providers for the Sportsman's Nation, man. I'm telling, I keep telling you, uh, I'll put the content that we put up on the Sportsman's Nation up against any other content that is currently out there. I feel very confident saying that, saying that. So, uh, um, yeah, we the best, whatever that means. Anyway, anyway, um, thank you very much for tuning in. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Vortex, Lone Wolf, Ripcord, Wasp, Ozonix, Prime, and again, Vortex, and our uh, our uh, network partners as well, Lacrosse Boots and Interstate Batteries and Exodus Trail Cameras. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast and it kind of works in a circle, right? You support those companies, they support me, and then I keep putting out kick-ass content for you guys, uh, for your ears and we have the YouTube channel as well, the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. So you need to go out and subscribe to that as well because as time starts going on, Parker over at uh, um, Southern Ground, he's putting out a ton of awesome videos right now. And it's the hunting season, so he's going to be putting out more. Me, I've been lacking in that department just because I'm trying to manage the, uh, the podcast side of things. But there will be more video content coming down the pipe very soon and um i hope hopefully you guys take a look at it enjoy the sportsman's nation as a whole enjoy the nine finger chronicles and if you're gonna be in a tree ladies and gentlemen wear your damn safety harness have a good rest of the week